Hello and welcome to another edition of the Village's Daily Sun Sports Podcast. I'm staff writer Drew Shaltry, joined from sunny Arizona by Deputy Editor Jeff Shane. And Jeff, the Open Championship is this weekend, so naturally you tried to get as far away from Scotland as you could since you couldn't go to St. Andrews. I'm going to have to get up at some ungodly hour to watch the first ball in the air at St. Andrews this week. But watch the Wimbledon final at you know 6 o'clock in the morning, the men's final. So I'm trying to train my body to adapt to all of these great British sports entities that we have in July. You've had some conditioning to get <laughs> to get ready for it. <laughs> we'll get to the Open in just a minute, but I uh, want to start with the tournament that happened in Scotland this past weekend and Xander Schauffele, who has been on a pretty good tear this year, a lot of upper standings finishes, but uh, his third win as well since April and also, of course, had that Olympic gold uh, back there last summer. And uh, Jeff, everybody kind of knew that Xander Schauffele was a pretty good links player, but how does this kind of tee him up as one of the maybe favorites for this weekend and what did he do well over the course of the Scottish Open on Thursday through Sunday? What he's been able to do is really just be very steady and as you mentioned this goes back to April he uh, finally got in the winner's column by teaming up with Patrick Cantlay to win the Zurich Classic in New Orleans and then From there, was able to have a good May and get himself into June. And now he's really been on a heater. Two wins in two starts. Now, they're separated by a week. He did not play the John Deere Classic. But victory at the Travelers Championship, week off, fly to Scotland, get acclimated, win the Scottish Open. And now he seems like he might be the hottest golfer going into this Open Championship. And I think he's certainly got the game because he's – steady enough he avoids trouble he manages to do a lot just to put himself into position and you and i both know that that's half the battle you don't want to shoot yourself out of it now what weather may do over the course of thursday friday saturday and all of that who knows we still don't haven't seen the tea times as of yet but he is certainly among what, the top three or four guys to look at this week just because nobody is playing more consistently than him right now, and he's got trophies to prove it. The other player to mention from this past weekend was Kurt Kitayama, who briefly took the lead from Shoffley there uh, before Shoffley had his great finish to the the round on Sunday. But uh, what do we know about him? Kurt Kitayama has actually, he's he's a veteran that finally took himself from the Asian tour, the Japan tour, and decided finally now's my time to go through pga tour qualifying let's see what i can do let's see if i can get on the tour and was able to get his pga tour card he's been a contender and won a handful of tournaments overseas but like anybody else when you get to the pga tour now all of a sudden you're going up against john rom and Rory McIlroy and all of those guys and it's a little bit more difficult but Kitayama does have some talent and has shown himself to be able to put himself in contention not only did he do it here but he also had a runner-up earlier this season so he's getting adjusted to being on the PGA Tour and maybe being in Scotland was a little bit of an advantage for him because of all of his play overseas and being used to different conditions and the travel and the way it affects your body clock and all of that. So I think that he might be somebody to look at simply because of his ability to adapt 
And again, we don't know tee times, but if the wind comes up and, and does he play well in the wind, we'll, we'll just have to see. But a very good finish for Kurt Kitayama. And with two runner-up finishes, that's usually enough to guarantee your PGA Tour card for the next year. And that's a huge thing for any golfer. That is a huge thing. And we also had another event stateside this past weekend. What happened at the Barbasol Championship? As often is the case, because the Barbasol Championship is opposite either the Open Championship or the Scottish Open, those who are staying stateside, that's the one they enter. And so they get a lot of first-time winners. And in this case, it was Trey Mullinax, who birdied the 72nd hole for his first PGA Tour title, won it over Kevin Streelman. And because of weather situations, it was a long Sunday. Mullinax had to play 31 holes. That comes out to do my math here. Uh, he had to finish the last 13 holes of the third round before even starting the fourth round. Storm delays on Friday and Saturday. But uh, he has been a, one of those guys that has put himself kind of on the fringes of some tournaments where maybe he was within arm's length of contending. But add Trey Mullinax's name to the list of PGA Tour winners and talk about keeping your PGA Tour card and all of those benefits. For a guy like that, that's huge because now he can guarantee that he's going to play on this tour for two more years. Well, moving on to our upcoming major now, St. Andrews, the historic home of this championship, the world's oldest championship, will be playing host to the 150th edition. Jeff, we had to do a little bit of creative rearranging with the golf schedule. We've talked before about being the, the schedule czars for a couple of things, but I think this is a decision that both you and I would have agreed with to, to make things work to end up putting the 150th Open Championship at the old course. Yes, absolutely. And credit to the RNA, when the pandemic hit, and you have these tournaments scheduled six, seven years out, and it was always the plan to say the 150th Open is going to be at the home of golf, and it's going to be at St. Andrews. But now we lose the 2020 Open Championship. It wasn't played at all. And now the RNA says, you know what? We're just going to push the schedule back. We have enough friendships and relationships with Royal St. George's and with St. Andrews that we're just going to be able to work that schedule out. And so Royal St. George's didn't miss their turn in the rotation at all. They just moved from 2020 to 2021, the 149th open, and that reserved the 150th open for the home of golf at St. Andrews. And there's no place it should be except for St. Andrews. And it's always had a special place in the open rota. It is the only one that gets hit twice compared to once every decade for the rest of the sites. And so it's always held that kind of, of status. And uh, it's been a while. Uh, this may be the longest we've gone between St. Andrew's Opens, partly yeah. because of the pandemic and partly because they actually had to shift by a year to get it to correspond with the 150th open but for a long time it was the fives and the zeros and now i guess we're going to go twos and sevens for st andrews we'll have to see but this is the place it should be always should be and uh, if you've never been to st andrews sometimes it's just hard to describe because yes augusta is built around a major but no place that i've been is built around the game of golf historically like St. Andrews, Scotland. And you can walk the streets and it just breathes 
golf, no matter whether you're at the university, the University of St. Andrews is a fantastic university, by the way, or go over to the old course, you can go over to the beach right next to the old course. That's called the West Sands. And you may recognize it if you watched Chariots of Fire, because that's where the opening scene of yep. Chariots of Fire was filmed. But you go to the, like I say, the University of St. Andrews, the RNA headquarters, even to the cemetery where old Tom Morris and young Tom Morris are buried. And uh, just a town that you can explore for a week and continue to be amazed. Yeah, obviously a lot of history in that city, a lot of history around the course. There'll be plenty of pageantry celebrating a lot of that. Jack Nicholas will become a honorary citizen of St. Andrews, Scotland. Another guy who's had a lot of success there and will probably one day get that same honor is Tiger Woods, who's won twice at St. Andrews. And it's been a while, but he will be back there again this weekend. Jeff, we talked about it earlier in the season that he was skipping the U.S. Open deliberately to be able to play at this specific event, given the motivation, given the time off, given his familiarity with the, with the course. We've seen the health struggles from Tiger and the Masters and everything else, but what are you expecting to see from him this weekend? Obviously, he'll be getting a lot of attention, but where should we be setting expectations? I don't want to say let's keep low expectations because that's not really what you want out of Tiger Woods, but let's keep expectations reasonable. Let's think that he will make the cut. I think this is a course that allows him to not walk so far. His game has always been great on this course. He's won it twice. He won it in 2000 and again in 2005. And so his game can play this course, which is wide open. You've got the parallel fairways, a lot of double greens. So you can miss without a huge penalty in a lot of places. But the walk will still be a little difficult. And, and I think what we saw was over the weekend, he played the J.P. McManus Pro-Am, which is a huge Pro-Am. It's kind of like what you get at Seminole. Uh, the, Sem the Seminole Pro Pro in Jupiter, Florida, where there's a lot of big name golfers and big name celebrities and, and big wallets, essentially. And he played that and he did middle of the pack. And then he had to go back and kind of recover. And the reports out of there is that for two days, he kept off his feet. He's not going to have that opportunity at St. Andrews. He tees it up Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And so even with a great round on Thursday and even Friday, he's got to continue to play into Saturday and Sunday. And that's what we saw with kind of the problem at the PGA Championship. Even though it was a flatter course than what we saw at Augusta, the cumulative toll of walking the course does take it out of him. And even though it's going to be a shorter walk, and I think it will be a friendlier course, to get into that top 10, to contend for a title when you're going up against Xander Schauffele and John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler and those guys, I think will be very difficult. And so I would not be surprised with a top 10. I would not be surprised with a top 25. I think I would be surprised if he missed the cut. But if he makes top 30 as a fan, I would be satisfied because it allows him to play four more rounds at St. Andrews. And what we're starting to get a little rumble about, and this is all just speculation, but why was Tiger so specific very early on about, I am going to play at St. Andrews 
and I'm not going to play at Brookline, which is also incredibly historical for the U.S. Open. Well, when the Open comes around to St. Andrews, that's a lot of curtain calls for a lot of players. We've seen it with Arnie. We saw it with Jack Nicklaus. We saw it with Tom Watson. We've seen it with Nick Faldo. And so the question that's apparently floating around St. Andrews right now is, will this be the farewell of Tiger Woods to maybe golf, maybe not, but to this championship to take his final British Open walk over that Swilkin Bridge at 18, whether that's on Friday or whether that's on Sunday, soak in the adulation from all of the patrons. And that 18th runs right by the main street, the main thoroughfare in St. Andrews. And you're going to have everybody cramming onto the balconies of the hotels and getting onto the roofs of the hotels to watch Tiger's final walk, whether it's on Friday or Sunday, because we just don't know. Say it is, say we go back to every five years, will Tiger Woods still be playing golf in 2027? A lot of speculation, a lot of I don't knows going on around right now. Well, you mentioned the other guys talking about Scheffler and Rom and Xander Schauffele. And obviously Rory McElroy has been playing in, in pretty good form recently. And he's the betting favorite, I believe, to come away with the championship in this one. Another name that I'm always interested in, especially when it comes around to British Opens, is Jordan Speed. And Jordan Speed has not won a lot of tournaments lately, but every time we get to a British Open, his name comes up and he's shown with a, with a couple of wins in England and Scotland that he's a pretty good links player. And Jeff, do you have any kind of high expectations for him this weekend? I think that there is good reason to have high expectations for Jordan Spieth. I think that when it comes to major championships, and we talk about it every so often, that that Jordan Spieth is not a power hitter. Well, you don't have to be a power hitter at the Open Championship, and you especially don't have to be a power hitter at St. Andrews, which has been stretched to the max, but is still essentially the same course that old Tom Morris was playing back in the 1800s and that Mary Queen of Scots was playing back in the 1400s. So he doesn't have to hit it long. You got to hit it precise and you've got to be able to putt. And if his putting is on, then I think his putting can put him in contention at any time at St. Andrews. And don't forget too, that when the Open was last at St. Andrews in 2015, and of course this was when Jordan Spieth was kind of at the height of his powers, but he was one shot out of being in that playoff that was eventually won by Zach Johnson. So Jordan Spieth plays this course very well. He does have an Open Championship on his resume when he won a couple of years later out of the driving range (laughs) that year. But uh, so I think that, that, he is probably maybe a little bit of a sleeper, maybe not a sleeper because we're all talking about it. Right. And then of course the other guys, when you talk about Xander Schauffele, Adam Scott, John Rom, you know, those are some of the best links players. Who are the guys that you're expecting to be there at the end on Sunday this weekend? Well, you mentioned Adam Scott and maybe he is the guy that, that flies under the radar a little bit because he does not have a claret jug to his name, but he was very, very, very close. In fact, he should have had, I'll say it, he should have had the claret jug 10 years ago at Royal Litham. It just hit me that, wow, that was 10 years ago. But uh, at Royal Litham, uh, except for the bogey, 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 bogey finish that allowed Ernie Ells to 
catch that dropped claret jug before it hit the ground. Really, he should have a claret jug to his name. And again, a very consistent player that doesn't get himself into trouble. And there are two factors that, well, really are always in play at St. Andrews. One, of course, is the weather. Some years you just get on the wrong side of the draw and it's high winds or it's fog. I remember when Louis Wusthuizen won back in 2010, he got off the golf course literally 10 minutes before the winds kicked up. And he was able to have this great second round score. And Rory McIlroy, who matched the Open Championship single round scoring record in round one, got caught in the middle of all of it and shot 80 and not only shooting himself out of contention, he missed the cut. And so uh, weather is going to be a factor. You got to be on the right side of it. But the other part of that is at St. Andrews, you've got to avoid those bunkers. And we all know the nicknames of the most notorious bunkers, whether it's the road bunker, the hell bunker, the spectacles, whatever. But if you get into one of those really penal bunkers, you got to go out sideways. Are you courageous enough to go out sideways? We even saw the other week with Sahith Bigala that he was not courageous enough to go out sideways and cost himself that Travelers Championship. But it's a very intriguing course. I always tell people if you've never been to St. Andrews and you have a chance to go and walk, just walk the course. Look at it from the tee box and then walk to the other side and look at it from behind the green. And it's amazing how many bunkers you did not see on the tee, but you can see from behind the green. And you've got to know where those bunkers are and how to get out of them. And so avoiding bunkers, obviously, is going to be the other big factor this week. Yeah, it'll be massive. Uh, And then, Jeff, we also have an LPGA event this weekend. What are we looking forward to with the Great Lakes Invitational? Uh, The Dow Great Lakes Invitational is their two-person team event. And I think this is their third or fourth year. It's really become a a popular event, kind of like the Zurich Classic has been for the PGA Tour. And so last year we saw a couple of Koreans that or good friends uh, were able to get around. We'll see, obviously, the Corda sisters try to win the championship this year. There were a couple of shots out last year. The intriguing thing for me is that we will see two Hall of Famers in the field that asked for an exemption. They probably don't need to do much more than say, I'd really like to play this event. And they say, come on in. But Annika Sorenstam is going to tee it up. And of course, she does play occasionally. And she's getting ready to defend her title at the U.S. Women's Senior Open coming up a little bit later on. And then Kari Webb, who has not played very much at all in recent years, but she is going to play. They are not teammates, by the way. They have separate teammates. Uh, Annika Sorensen is teaming with Madeline Sangstrom, and Kari Webb has has a different partner as well. But uh, both of them are going to play and tee it up. And that certainly helps the marquee value of that event. So really, if you get a chance and it, you know, it's a hot July weekend uh, in Florida, the British open, the open championship coverage is done for the day. Go watch that, that two person event. It is really fun to, to see on the LPGA as well. And I'm glad that they were able to find a place to put that format. And that really has taken a hold on that tour. 
All right. Well, thank you, Jeff, again, for taking some time out of your vacation to join the podcast and enjoy the dry heat out there in Arizona and enjoy <laughs> your early call times to catch this British Open. I'm going to have to keep turning this schedule around. I'm, I'm going to wonder what my dad and stepmom are going to say <laughs> when I'm getting up at 2 a.m. to watch golf. All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll come right back with more on the Daily Sun Sports Podcast right after this. From high school heroes to softball to the latest on the village's fairways, the Daily Sun brings you the best in local sports. Stay informed with the nation's fastest growing newspaper in the nation's fastest growing community. Subscribe to the Village's Daily Sun by calling 352-753-1119. Okay, it's time to talk soccer, and more specifically, the Village's SC. I am sports editor Nick Feely, filling in for Jeff Shane this week, who is in lovely Arizona. I am happy to welcome in Drew to talk about the Village's SC. And Drew, they're coming off a tough loss on Saturday night to Nona FC. Drew, tell us what you saw in Saturday night's matchup. Well, Nona FC, as we learned in the first matchup with the Village's, is very athletic and very big and that did give the villages a little bit of trouble this buffalo team is maybe a little bit undersized they don't have a lot of height don't have a lot of size up front and it's been tough for them in matchups with teams like this with teams like tampa bay united with teams like florida elite but they've handled those games a little bit better i think the difference with nona is that the combination of size skill and speed is just such a hard thing for any team to handle. Obviously, Nona has clinched the Southeast Division. They've been able to beat every other team in the division. So this isn't just a Villages specific problem. Nona's a very, very good team. And the Villages hung with them on Saturday night, and it was a 0-0 match pretty much all the way through. And then in that final 20 minutes, Nona finally gets a goal to go, and that ended up being the one difference. The Buffalo had their chances. They had a couple go off of the, the corner of the goal. They had a couple of saves made by the Nona keeper. So the chances were there, but again, this has kind of been the story of the Buffalo this season. They weren't able to finish on some of their opportunities, had a couple balls that were left in the box that didn't turn into shots and things like that. So again, just finishing, not even just in the final third anymore. They're getting the ball all the way up into the box, which was something they weren't as easily able to do earlier in the season, but they're still not just getting that last touch that they need to put some of these balls in the net, and they're running out of time to kind of correct that before the playoffs come. As you said, they had trouble finishing that game. It seems like they're having a little bit of trouble here finishing out the season. They started off on fire, and now they've only have five points in their last five matches. What needs to happen this week as they play their final two regular season games for them to reach those playoffs and, and get into a good position? I think it's all about getting momentum back. We thought and the team thought that the win at FC Miami City last week where they came back from the late goal that put them behind to score two goals in the last five minutes of regulation to win that match, we thought that that was kind of going to propel them forward. But now going on the road, losing 1-0, they're going to have to bounce back again from a loss like that. So there's certainly some mojo issues potentially if you're talking about a future matchup with Nona FC. The good news is that they'll probably be placed on opposite sides of the playoff bracket just because the league doesn't like to put two teams from the same division against each other, at least not in the first round. So that's a can that they can kind of kick down the road a little bit. But meanwhile, you've got a matchup against Miami AC this week, and you've got a match against Caledonia to finish things out. And you have to take those two teams that are kind of mid and lower in the table to really get the swagger back, get back to what they were doing in the beginning of the season and where they were controlling matches and turning that into goals and preventing the other team from scoring, which is something they haven't done as well during this stretch. So what does the playoff bracket look like now? What does the Village's SC have to get done this week to in order to reach a postseason spot? Well, to clinch it outright, they've got two matches left to get three points. 
So if they win either one of them, again, Miami AC this Wednesday and then Caledonia on Saturday, a win in either one of those will clinch a playoff berth for them. The Southeast Division gets two automatic bids, and they can still get that second one. They're in the driver's seat for it. If they draw with Miami AC on Wednesday, that knocks Miami AC out. They need the maximum possible points to get through. FC Miami City, also same thing. They need to win out in their final game, so a loss or a draw by them would take them out of contention, but they can still win enough matches to tie with the Villages SC if they don't get a win here. And so the Villages SC needs the three points to match Miami AC's maximum potential, and then they would own that head-to-head tiebreaker because of that match that I explained from last week where they came back to win that one late. With both of these matches at home this week, how much momentum do you think that factors into the equation? And what does the Villages SC need to get done at home in order to get the win they need in one of those two matches? Well, it's definitely good for them that they're at home. Obviously, barring that Nona FC loss earlier in the season, the Buffalo have never lost at that complex there in Summerfield since it opened in 2019. They love having the fans there. They love the pitch that they get to practice on. Everything about it suits their style of play. The width, the type of grass, the way it's cut, everything is designed specifically because of the style of play that the Buffalo execute. So I think things will definitely be running in their favor. Again, these are two winnable matches down here to finish out the season. And the Villages is hoping they put in a bid to uh, host playoffs, and they're hoping that they can clinch and potentially have a chance to keep playing at home. So if they can get some mojo back on their home pitch, that could bode well for them in the playoffs because there's a chance that, again, they'll be playing there the following weekend as well. And zooming out a little bit from just the Villages SC, talk a little bit about what their potential path, not to get too far ahead of the game here, but a potential path in the playoffs and, and kind of where the rest of the USL2 landscape looks like. Yeah, the Southern Conference is mostly settled. Two of the divisions, the Southeast, which is the Villages division, and then the Mid-South, both larger divisions get two automatic bids each. And then the other three divisions in the Southern Conference, their division winners will get in and then they share one wild card. So most of the division winners, I think, are locked up at this point. I don't think there's anything that can change in any of the five divisions. Those wild card spots are up for grabs. But one of the interesting points right now is it looks like Tormenta FC, who has kind of been the Villages rival in the postseason the last couple of years, knocking them out of the last two two playoffs very well might not make it to the conference playoffs. They would need to win out and they'd need some help as well. So that's an interesting motivator for the Villages SC to potentially go to a Southern Conference playoffs and not have to deal with the Pelicans there. Well, if people want to get out and support the Buffalo this week, as, as we said, they have two home matches to finish off the regular season. Tell us a little bit about how people can do that here in the Villages. Yeah, both games will be at 7 p.m. at the home complex, 17690 South U.S. Highway 301 in Summerfield, Wednesday night against Miami AC, and Saturday night against Caledonia SC. Again, they need just those three points to clinch that division, and they love doing that at home, securing that playoff berth and getting to celebrate that with the home fans. So if you're in the area, you won't want to miss it. That's it, though, for the Village's Daily Sun Sports podcast for this week. Thank you to Jeff Shane for taking time out of his vacation to talk to us about the Open. We're looking forward to that this weekend. Of course, we'll be recapping it with you next week. Nick, thank you for sitting in for Jeff in here today, and hopefully everyone gets a chance to get out and see the Buffalo before the end of this season. I want to thank you again if you're listening to us on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a like, subscribe, and review. We always appreciate those as well. Tell your friends. And until next week, we'll see you out on the playing fields. Thank you.